As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, this is the game podcast from the Times. Today, the red wall stands firm as Wales hang on to second place in Group A. Switzerland finally wake up to give themselves a chance at the expense of a lacklustre Turkey. We'll head to Seville for the prognosis on Spain and ask if Denmark can complete an improbable turnaround. This is the game Euro 2020. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times across all of your devices for less than £1 per day. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to begin your free trial. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from if you are enjoying our Euro 2020 content, which only gets better. I'm joined today by Gregor Robertson, Matt Dickinson and Tom Clark. How are you? Very good to you. Uh, Let's start with Wales. Their fans are the happiest right now because they are through to the round of 16 in Amsterdam this weekend. And and they they knew it was going to happen. They were beaten by Italy in Rome. It finished 1-0. Ethan Ampadu sent off a straight red card. That is the first home nations player to receive a straight red at the European Championship since 1968, I believe. The Wales boss, Rob Page, did ring the changes in the game, but he still showed that his side will not be pushovers in this competition. I think that was the big takeaway when it comes to Wales for me today. Gregor, what did you think? Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, as you say, it was largely expected that Italy would be the superior team. I think Italy have probably been the most impressive team in the com- competition. And they very much were, you know, I think 23 attempts to three. Um, but Wales, Wales were spirited. And, you know, as well, having to make a couple of changes at the back, bringing in Ampadu and and Gunter for uh, Davies and, and Mepham, who were on yellow cards. Uh, you know, I, I think Davies and Mepham were outstanding in the in the previous game. Um, and obviously, a change of formation to three at the back. So you know, there was there was some kind of disruption to to Wales, but what you saw was still that kind of you know desire and commitment and togetherness. And they kept the score low enough to make it a fairly comfortable uh, comfortable even in terms of like knowing that they're going to be. Obviously, we're talk- We're going to talk about this. The jeopardy between whether you're going to finish second or third. I think uh, results elsewhere were playing a part in that, but there wasn't much jeopardy, and it was there. Um, but yeah, I thought I, basically I thought Wales were were excellent, and and Rob Page deserves great credit. I think I've said that before. I think uh, what he's done with this team so far has been been brilliant. Tom, it's Finland, Denmark, or Russia next for Wales. It's on, isn't it? Yeah, it depends what you mean by it's on. Um, if if we're thinking another 2016 run run to the deep into the knockouts, then yeah, it could well be. The most striking thing for me about Wales is, and not wanting to get too bogged down in England chat again, but they have such a clear way of playing. You know what Rob Page has set them up to do in all three games. I've thought, yep, 
I know exactly what what they what they're trying here. I think in in the game against Turkey, you know, the goal Aaron Ramsey scored, Gareth Bale had tried that cut in off the wing, chipped ball over the top with the runs from James and Ramsey over and over again. He sets the team up very well, even with the changes he made. You could still see that they were they were trying to have a go. Italy, they created a few chances. Bale should have scored. There's real reasons to be to believe as a Wales fan that they could do do something remarkable and go go deep into the tournament. I would love to see them go far into this tournament once again. I've been swept on this on this wave by going to Baku and seeing them in the flesh. Now I'm. I won't call myself an honorary Welshman, but I certainly want them to do well, you know, and that, and that might provide some joy to me during this competition because it doesn't seem like England are going to fit that mould for me. Um, Matt, let's talk about Italy next. They made eight changes. As Gregor says, strong, strong side. They were still dominant in the game. It is now 30 straight matches without defeat for them. It's, it equals a national record and it all seemed so simple for them despite those changes today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, it does help that when, you know, you bring in Verratti in, um, I thought he was just, some, some of his touches were, were magnificent. Obviously, he wins a free kick and delivers it for, for the goal. So, you know, there's, you know, just when we sort of thought, oh, well, are they are they sort of going to ease off uh, and, and cruise in the last game of the group. They can throw you know a world-class player on and they played with the intensity that we'd seen in the first two games. You know, it was, you could see the hunger in these sort of fringe players to, to try and get into the starting 11. You could see that it's the the whole, you know, system remains sort of um, organised and, um you know, recognisable. You could see the the the, the attacking intensity. Uh, you know, there were just you know different different names on the team sheet, but the same the same highly impressive Italy that we've we've seen through this group stage. So yeah, I mean, they're they're a team that no one will will reddish playing. And say now with Verratti back in the mix after injury, they've um, you know who knows they could get better. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do. Backed it each way at eight to one. So I'm a big Italy fan in this one <laughs> as well, just so you guys know. Um, I want to talk about the red card in this game. Lots of people dismayed by the red card for Ethan Ampadu. Gregor Robertson, I'm going to ask you, Red? No, I'm one of them, yeah. I mean, you just you, look, you just have an instinctive, you know, you have a gut reaction when you see a tackle like that. And my gut reaction is that it's not enough to be a red card. And I know Peter Walton, you know, the voice of... Uh, <laughs> of the referees again coming on saying there'd been a kind of directive beforehand to say that this kind of tackle should be a red would would be a red card um and i know you you're you'd be, you'd be waiting eagerly to say what's the point of having var um if they don't step in here but it's a it's a kind of human decision to uh, and as if there has been a directive to say this then it's not really in his hands and I just look at it and don't think it should have been a red card. And I, I think probably most of us would, would agree on that, wouldn't we? I don't think it was a red. I thought it was an orange. I could see why he gave it. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think I would have done. Um, but it's on the basis of that we seem to be operating on in, the, in that they're only correcting what they regard as, as blunders, then that's, that's why they didn't intervene. This is what I can't stand about it. Why on <laughs> earth? No, no, genuinely. Now it's just here to support the referee's on-field decisions. So if the referee has a great game, basically VAR has a great game, the referee doesn't, then VAR doesn't because they they don't seem to want at any point in time to overturn what's happened on the on the pitch. That's the whole No, the Dan point. James in the first <laughs> half. No, if if they've outlined if they've outlawed this kind of tackle, Dan James in the first half went in shin high on Verratti. Right? It was a bad challenge. It was a bad challenge and 
it was probably a worse challenge than Ethan Ampadu's, but the referee didn't give anything. So if VAR wants consistency, which I think we all want in refereeing, whether it's the VAR official, whether it's the on-field official, we want consistency, then they would have stepped in and at least asked the referee to take a look at it because it was exactly the same challenge that apparently was a straight red card in the second half. And VAR says to the referee, no, that's fine. We can't tell you to have a look at that. That that looks honky-dory. No, no, no. It's it, Listen, if you're going to have it there, it needs to breed a level of consistency. I'm not saying overturn the referee's decision. I'm saying ask him to have a look because I'm not being funny. Both of them either should have been reds or neither of them should have been reds. They shouldn't have been different decisions. Another word for consistency is perfection. And we've, we've agreed, haven't we, that there's no point in chasing after that. So no, no, you can be consistently bad. I mean, there's not perfection. You can, you know, all I'm asking for is that we all, Greg, you've played, you've played football, right? All you want is if all the referees are bad, then fine. That's, you know, and you get you get used to it and you play with it and you know what the decisions are going to be. And you know that some days there's going to be a referee that gives absolutely everything. Some days there's a referee that, that lets everything go. But at least you know on the day that that referee has a, a certain level that they're going to perform at. What you don't want is to play a football match where the referee gives some things and doesn't give other things and you don't know how you should play. And I think they should, the VAR should be able to I think it should be able to virtually guarantee a level of consistency because it's there as a backup. It's there to check what's going on on the field. Uh, I don't know, Tom, I know you want to say something, so I'll stop. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good of you. I mean, I just think the, the danger with your argument is then, as Matt's hinted out there, we head towards the perfection element of the conversation with VAR where we'll then have the tournament ruined by endless stoppages and referees stood by the pitch looking at a screen with the guy in his ear going, well, it is quite high, isn't it? Mm, yeah, it's, it's quite high. He's a bit late. Oh, should we slow it down again? Have you got a different angle? You know, the Ampadu tackle, I actually think, as Matt said, it was a, it was an orange. It was a burnt orange. You know, that lovely colour that you wear in autumn time <laughs> when you're wrapping up warm, maybe in a scarf or a jumper form. But, you know, and so if he gives it as a red... Fine. Let's just let's just crack on. I understand your point about there could be others that then could have been reds, but for the sake of the tournament, one of the things that I think has been impressive about the officiating is the decisiveness and the the, the speed of the decisions. I mentioned it on the first pod in the very first game with the Italy one. There was a goal. There was a check that lasted seconds, and it's allowed us to focus on the football. And you know, you say to Gregor there about referees and what we want from referees the the cliche we always trot out about good refereeing is when you don't you don't talk about it and i know you're and i know you're bringing it up now and it obviously it's a slightly contentious issue but the only thing we've really had to say about the officiating so far is that it's been pretty good and that it's allowed us to focus on the football which is a pretty good thing really and i think the more you look for well if daniel james has gone in like that we're just going to end up with loads of stoppages and loads of you know referees stood on the side of the pitch looking at screens. And I definitely don't want that. I don't want it for minor decisions, but I think if there's a directive that says you should be giving straight red cards out for a certain type of tackle and you're the VAR video assistant referee, should I stress, and you've seen one of these tackles on the tape, then you should be getting the referee to have a look at it. If, if they apparently believe that these are straight red card offences, if they don't believe that these are straight red card offences, then when the referee gives a straight red card for one of them, you should then, as the VAR official, be telling them to have another look at it. 
I just, I, these are big decisions. For, for me, a straight red card is a big decision. Maybe other people don't think it is, but I mean, for me, it is. For me, that's a game changer. It could be a game changer in a massive game and it could decide this tournament. So on those uh, on those big, big moments, I, well, what's the point in being there if you're not going to step in? I, I Look, we've had this argument before. I, you know, my view is if you give a straight red card, you should have to check it. I don't, I, I, I believe a straight red card is that big a decision in a football match that you should go over and spend the extra 30 seconds to look at the challenge to make sure you're making the right decision. But I reckon the people in the truck or wherever for that Ampadu one will have looked at it and gone and made a judgment call that no real good can come from sending the referee to go and have a look at it. Because I don't know, other than agonising over it a little bit and going, well, it's not as high, but it's still quite high and he is late and the ball's gone. I think it heads down a dangerous path that ends up impacting on the game and our enjoyment of a tournament. But what about the players? This is sport. What about Ethan Ampadu and his ability to take part in the rest of the competition and Wales to have him at their disposal? Let's be honest, we can't be too nicey-nicey our poor little Ethan Ampadu. It was a late tackle. The lad missed the ball and went in studs, studs up. I mean, it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a horror tackle. I saw a penalty given for a player get his foot stood on in the Spain game. I saw Raheem Sterling get his foot stood on in the Scotland game. Gregor will argue it wasn't a pen. I don't think it was either. But what I'm saying is they could easily both have been checked and given by VAR. One was. One was looked at by the VAR official and a penalty was given. So I, I just want consistency. Consistently bad or perfect perfection, whatever way you want to look at it. I just want consistency. I think it was incredibly hard for Ethan Ampadu. But at least if the referee goes over to the monitor and has a look at it, you can say, look, He's looked at it twice. He's made his mind up. That's his decision. He's seen it once, given a straight red at the flash of an eye. I just, I think it, I think it was harsh. Could miss two games, could miss the rest of the, the, the tournament. So I just, you know, for me, that is a massive, massive decision. I feel, I feel bad for the guy. That's all I'm saying. Um, any other comments on Wales or Italy before we move on? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Are we going to talk about that, that format thing? Because I, I mean, I've, I've sort of did a piece from the game, which, um, you know, good luck to Wales and especially good luck to them that they could be facing Russia who are ranked, God knows what, 38th or something in the world. And, you know, that they, they, I'm sure, you know, if I was a, you know, um, a Welsh fan watching that, I would have had, you know, some tension attached to the fact that I wanted to come second because it could open up a run. But, you know, as a, as a neutral, shall we say, watching it, the format basically undermined the drama of the day. You, you know, the jeopardy was, will Wales finish second or third? I know that, you know, they kept cutting to, oh, you know, here's another goal gone in, uh, in the Switzerland game, you know, always back to, you know, goal differences shrinking, but actually that, you know, it's, it, we're not talking jeopardy when it's not, you know, stay in the competition, go out. You know, the fact is that someone with a much, much bigger brain than mine, um, which isn't, that difficult when it comes to mathematics um, worked it out that I think it was like 0.6% chance of Wales going out whatever happened this afternoon and that's you know the format is unsatisfactory and this was an after you know maybe we'll be lucky maybe we'll get more drama in the nights ahead um, but to me this was a day that showed why the format is unsatisfactory we're going to come back to the format because I think tomorrow could be really really interesting in terms of well, just working out some very, maybe improbable things, but in particular, Denmark might be saved by this current format. We'll talk about them a little bit later on. Um, but I do want to talk about the other game in the Group A. That's the group, of course, with Wales and Italy in Switzerland beating Turkey three goals to one. Now, the, the Swiss have a very, very good chance of qualifying on four points, of course. Um, third place in the group. But let's talk about Turkey, Tom. 
because lots of people thought they were going to be dark horses and they were, they have been, I, I guess, one of the worst teams in the Euros. Yeah, they've looked kind of confused and very flat and slow, which obviously a lot of the narrative around Turkey is how passionate and enthusiastic and mad their fans are. And that hasn't come across on the pitch with the players at all. It seemed so devoid of any spirit. They looked defensive to the point of kind of just being slightly inept against Italy. They're completely blown away by Wales. And, you know, there wasn't much spirit and pride on show against Switzerland, who played quite well and scored a couple of good goals. But yeah, I was very surprised. I mean, one of one of the players who obviously for Premier League fans, we all know about, but Sionchu looks like a different player. It's like his twin brother who can't play football has been morphed into the team. He just looks completely devoid of any confidence. He looks flat-footed, doesn't look like the talismanic centre-back that played for Leicester. Um, it's, it's all been quite surprising, really, because there were a lot of people uh, with more experience in football than uh, than me and me and you, Hugh, who were saying they were going to be dark horses and tips for, to do well in this tournament. And they've certainly been proven wrong. Yeah, very underwhelming side Turkey, but good to see the Swiss get off the mark because as Gareth Bell remarked earlier on in the week, they were actually the highest ranked team in the group coming into this. And I still think there's something more to come from the Swiss in this tournament. At least I hope there is, because of course, with four points, it might not be enough to take them through in third place. But again, as Matt remarked, about a 99% chance of that happening. We'll see what happens in the rest of the week. Uh, up next, we're going to head to the heat of Seville. The pressure is on for Luis Enrique Spain before we look ahead to those grandstand finishes in groups B and C on the game. Paul Hurst is our man in Seville from the Times. Hi, Paul. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you, Hugh. We've got to talk about the fallout. What are the locals saying about Luis Enrique's side? It's um, it's a very kind of negative reaction here in Seville to to both of the games, uh, both in the crowd at the uh, at the match. They, the, the fans weren't happy, um, booing in particular Alvaro Morata after the first match. And coming out of the stadium last night, everyone just looked really kind of downbeat and not really that surprised. I, th- I think this Spain, the Spain team, is is um, is not one of the best in in recent history. You know they don't have a, you know Iniesta, David Villa, you know Santi Cazorla, David Villa, David Silva, Xavi. It's just you know they, they don't really have a a lot of stars. They're reliant on um, youth and just trying to get through the group stage, which is such a uh, you know, a remarkable thing to to state, given that, like you say, they won it twice um, in succession not so long ago. So everyone was kind of not expecting them to to set the tournament alight um, in the first place, really. And the, the media reactions not being great either. I was looking at the looking at Marker this morning. Their headline was "We are in a big mess," which pretty much sums everything up. But Paul, they've still got a squad full of some fantastic talent. So why do you think Luis Enrique hasn't been able to get more out of them? I just think it's um, quite a lot of it's down to Luis Enrique's character himself. He's very stubborn and he he decided that, right, this is the 11 or these are 11 or 12 players that I want in my team and they are going to you know bring me success. Uh, so I'll stick with them. And he only made one change for the second match. He brought in Gerard Moreno, who's scored 32 goals for Villarreal this season, um, played him on the right wing, uh, which was very um, questionable, and then played, um, stuck with Morata up front. There are a lot of talented players in the squad, but they're all very, very young. Pedri, 
has started in midfield. He's 18 years old. He's the youngest player ever to play for Spain at a major championship. So it's it's pretty <laughs> difficult, really, to to kind of put all the pressure on on his shoulders um, in a you know in a midfield in the midfield. So it's they, they are very very young and very kind of naive. So it's that it, that's one of the main reasons that they that they're struggling at the moment and. I just think Enrique, with, with how he is, he's just going to stick with the team and then just hope that it, hope that they get through somehow. And finally, you've got to tell me whether the pitch in Seville makes a difference. What's going on? The stadium that they're using is not used by a football team. It's not used by Sevilla or Real Betis. It is, it's a, an athletic stadium that was built in 1999. It was supposed to be hosting the Olympics if Seville had won those in uh, won the bid for those in 2004 and eight, but they didn't. He's just lays dormant for most of the year. And they chose that chose that stadium after Bilbao said that they couldn't host the Spain's games due to COVID. And, you know, lo and behold, Seville, you know, in the south of Spain, the one of the hottest places in, in this country has experienced 30 plus degree temperatures for the last, you know, last month or so. So the, the grass is incredibly dry um, and the ball's not rolling particularly well. Luis Enrique asked for UEFA to cut it, but Spain's players were up in arms about it and Luis Enrique was well saying it's it just doesn't help us. It doesn't doesn't, you know, Spain are a, a passing team and they can't pass the ball when the, the grass is so long and so dry. So they've been watering it uh, incessantly, rolling it to, to try and make it a little bit better. Uh, it was a little bit better for the second match against Poland, but when they play on Wednesday it will be 35, 36 degrees here in Seville. So you can expect it to be in a worse condition. So I don't think that will improve um, Luis Enrique's mood. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our thanks to Paul Hurst, who's got plenty more, I'm sure, covering Spain uh, out in Seville. Although, who knows, it might just be one more game for him. He's got more to come, of course, uh, in the Times and the Sunday Times. But let's look ahead next to what should be a pretty manic Monday at Euro 2020. The final games in both Groups B and C. I want to start with Group C, gentlemen. Everyone, I think, will be cheering on Denmark just a little bit. They could still be second in their group, unbelievably. They need a big win over Russia. They need Belgium to get the same over Finland as well. That would be three points, by the way, making them second place in the group. Um, Everyone's second team, Tom, at this point in time, especially given all that they've been through. And I think they're good enough to make this happen. Absolutely. Well, I mean... A friend of mine asked me for some tips in the sweepstake because um, they had a chance to swap having got Portugal 
with Denmark and I said, oh yeah, go for, go for Denmark. They could be dark horses and Portugal have got a very difficult group. So uh, with the way things are going, I'm definitely hoping for a miracle just for me to save face. Otherwise I'll never be trusted with a footballing opinion ever again, as most of the game podcasters listeners already think. But um, I, the other thing as well was that after obviously that remarkable opening game and all that they'd gone through, they were fantastic against Belgium. I thought, particularly in that first half, that was to put in that kind of a performance in that situation was remarkable. They made Belgium look very, very ordinary until Kevin De Bruyne did what we all know that he can do best. So, yeah, I certainly wouldn't put it past them. My only concern would be that they've obviously got to score a lot of goals. Um, and I don't know whether they've necessarily got that in their team. Um, Brathwaite, Paulson, quite good players, but they're not necessarily known for their goal scoring ability. They're more modern forwards, either playing out wide or as the kind of target man foil type striker. So we'll see. It would be an incredible story um, and we'll certainly be cheering them on. And I guess that's where the kind of the counter argument on the on the group stages comes in, isn't it? That they still got a chance even in their situation. Currently, they've got the same goal difference as Russia. So they just really need to win that game by a couple of goals Finland on zero goal, goal difference at the moment. Obviously, if they lose to Belgium, they'll be on negative goal difference. So it could easily put them second in the group. I'm just maybe I'm just hoping a little bit too much, but um, but I think I think there's going to be a really intriguing end to this group. And I wonder Belgium, of course, with two wins, whether they will rest players in that final game against Finland. I think Finland have maybe been the surprise for me of the tournament, aside from having the two best kits. Of course, to get the, the <laughs> results that they've got as well, I really want to see more of them at this competition. I can't lie but um it's that in itself that Belgium as you say Belgium are, are through they can rest players but a team because the third place goes through it's like because they're resting players they can excuse the sort of competitive integrity a little bit uh, you know if, if, if only the top two are going through then there's more likelihood of a of a, a game in which one team is already through and the team that and other teams are still able to go through so you know if it, it's, it's up to Belgium to rest their, their squad but it could it kind of excuse the competitive integrity a little bit do you rest De Bruyne if I mean he obviously the way he came back in does he need um, does he need game time because I, I mean that was I mean it was sensationally good wasn't he and yeah you do wonder I mean stick him on the pitch and that tilts the balance <laughs> about 50% in one one player doesn't it but um, but yeah it will be interesting what they do say with the Lukaku whether whether you know um, you know I think there's there's evidence both ways, isn't there? Rest, rest legs one way, but lose momentum another. So it will, it will be. I mean, again, respect to Italy for the manage. They managed to get the best of all worlds. Yeah, I think the teams with two wins, most of them are going to do that. Um, we saw today Italy basically empty the bench. They substitute their goalkeeper. I think with three minutes left, just to give their third choice keeper a little bit of a run out as well. I don't know exactly what Belgium will do and how much depth they've got in their squad. I doubt it's the same as. Italy's currently but um, but it, yeah I, look Gregor I don't know what you're arguing for here that's the only thing do you want the, the <laughs> do you want the competition to be smaller in which case we don't have those special moments in the playoffs if you know what I'm saying I do want the competition to be smaller let's just be honest let's just be honest about it I, I know Scotland will never get in ever again though Gregor you do realise that I don't know as long as they keep the Nations League spots I'm alright with it um, <laughs> Gregor's speaking as a man with a massive hangover after the big nil-nil draw celebrations and he's thinking God I've got a new kid I don't need this into my life anymore one big party is enough I don't need this anymore basically I <laughs> but I just I don't know I just thought today it kind of, I know it's just the start and there could be more games where there's there's like 
a bit of jeopardy and because there's more teams can go through. I just think it's I just think it's ridiculous. And also then we're gonna to come to the next group in Ukraine and Austria and they could play out a draw and, and both go through potentially. Like it's not just about the kind of entertainment value. It's about the integrity of the competition a little bit, I think. Well, excuse it, doesn't it? Because also Portugal, uh, I think, I'm pretty sure I'm right in thinking that they're, because they were one of the last teams to play at Euro 2016, they got through knowing that a draw yeah. in their last game would get them through. So you had the benefit of of being one of the, the last teams to do it. So I think, yeah, and there is an imbalance, obviously, isn't there, between, you know, you've got a couple of groups where it's runners-up, the runners-up in the next round, then you've got some group winners have to play a second-place team. So there, there is a, a lack of symmetry and sort of, basic fairness in that I, I just don't see how look it's what we're stuck with but I, I think it is unsatisfactory on 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 a few levels you know I almost think that's almost unarguable really Matt you all know I've got my conspiracy theories when it comes to UEFA including which replays we were and were not shown in the game between Italy and Wales today but that's by the by the fact is you know, this is the game now. This is as many games as possible, as much money as possible from the broadcasters. And if we need to make the group stage the most, I, I don't want to say null and void, but the, the most meaningless part of it, there will be some of these games where you think, I mean, especially today, you know, you're, you're watching Wales against Italy and Rome. It's the final group game for many of their fans. It's the most important. And we're, we're just talking about goals. You know, if there's a goal swing here, goal swing there, then they might be third in the group. And even then, I don't think they would have had like the worst draw possible. It just wouldn't have been the worst draw in the world, even if they had finished third in the group. There, there, there will be more of that in the coming week. And I'm interested to see what will happen between the Ukraine and Austria, of course, in Group C, because, um, well, this could be a repeat, couldn't it, Gregor, of a famous match back in, oh, what, 19, what was it, 1982, was it? The disgrace of Gihon, was it? Um, I think West Germany and Austria played. It was a 1-0 win for West Germany needed. That goal came early on and the rest of the match was a dull affair. And that meant Algeria were knocked out of the World Cup. And we could see, because both Austria and Ukraine would go through with a point tomorrow, something very similar. Um, but not very professional. Not very professional if that were, were to happen. No, and I, I like, I'm not, in no way am I saying that either of these teams were going to go out think, thinking that, but you, you play the game and the game goes on and you get beyond 45 minutes and you approach an hour. And it, you, who knows? You might just see both of them thinking, we don't really need to go for it too much here. It brought to mind, was it, Tom, you might remember this, Coventry Morecambe. I think Co- Coventry had to win... This is a couple of years back. Coventry, no, they both needed a draw. Morecambe to stay up and Coventry yes. to go up yeah. or to get into the playoffs. Into the playoffs, I think. And yeah. the, the end of the game was a complete farce. Matt, you won't remember. There was one at the last World Cup, wasn't there? Was it Japan or someone in the group stages? In the last 20 minutes, they were just kicking the ball left and right and then lumping it downfield and then they were doing a goal kick. I can't remember who it was. And no team goes out to do it. No team goes out at the start thinking, you know, we're going to play for a point. But as I say, when you get to about an hour in, you'll see the game change, if, if that's the way it is. If it's still nil-nil or it's 1-1 or whatever, the game will change and the way the players play and approach it will change. And that's not healthy for the competition. On the basis of football, you know, if in doubt, just grow more games, more teams, more TV money then, you know, you assume it'll be 32 before too long because that's, you know, I mean, it would have the virtue of simplicity, but it would obviously have, I mean, the what I used to, one of the things I loved most about the Euros was the intensity, was the fact that you'd come in and, you know, I know we've got, you know, there would be 
three groups of death, you would have, you know, that sense of it would be Germany, Spain or France, Italy, you know, in week one, um, all over the competition. And that, you know, to me, that was something that, yeah, it's, it's a slightly elitist approach. And there are sort of fringe nations who will say, what about us? But then that's, again, the Nations League was meant to be part of addressing that. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd be back to, to 16 and, um, yeah, tomorrow. But um, that ain't ever going to happen. <laughs> I, I, how much do you guys feel that, that that takes away from the competition? Because I think it's been still a pretty exciting Euro so far. I've enjoyed most of the games. All right, I might be speaking very differently after this final set of group games if we have a few of these games where teams are just passing it side to side. But I also like the fact that there are a load of nations in it who may not have otherwise been. I've enjoyed Gregor's excitement. <laughs> I know, it's been so nice to see him happy, isn't it? Honestly. It's been so long. I mean, I must say, I, I don't know whether this is the lower league football club football fan in me, but I've really enjoyed it. And I mean, I watched, I was watching Wales, but I also had an eye on the Switzerland game and the way they were going for it, it was great fun. So the fact that they were still in it, and I think we're going to see that in the coming games this week, that kind of sense of slightly mad, how the hell are we still in with a chance here? How many goals do we need looking over at the bench? Two more? Two more? Oh, okay, right, okay, send the big lad on. <laughs> I think you can definitely make a strong case for the integrity of the competition. But, I mean, ultimately, the cream will rise to the top. The top teams will be in the last stages of the knockouts. And we'll have all had a good laugh getting there, watching uh, watching the little lads Scotland's enjoy themselves. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. That was poor. That was low. That was low. I didn't mean it either. Sorry. No, no look, and also, I agree with you. I, I, you know, I've enjoyed watching the, some of the smaller nations, uh, particularly Scotland. It's not necessarily the fact that it's been, it's grown. It's, it's an illogical number. 24 is an illogical number. It doesn't work. And, you know, having, having so many third place teams and whatever, it should be the top two. It shouldn't be that three of the four teams go through. I read somewhere today that it's, 71% of the games to eliminate 33% of the teams. So it's like <laughs> so much football <laughs> and you only get rid of a third of the teams. So that, that's not that's not really, that doesn't make sense. So I, I'm absolutely with you. And I, I should say, despite all of that, all of what I've said, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And it's been a massive step up from uh, Euro 2016, I think, in quality and, you know, enjoyable, enjoyability of the, the enjoyableness of the games. So like some great teams to, to have watched, Italy, the Netherlands, Germany stepped up massively. I think Portugal could still be a, still be a force. There's there's been some great games and, and and you know great enjoyment, but the format is mad. Well, look, I mean, tomorrow is going to be an interesting one. It's going to be a test of the format, um, and I think that's going to continue throughout the week. We'll see if the gripes continue or the great games come back in as well. Um, just a quick prediction for tomorrow's games, because I think that Ukraine game with Austria is going to be a really interesting one. Personally, I think both teams have done pretty well. Desperate to go through, of course. And then, of course, for me, Denmark, I think they're going to cause the shock as well. Gregor, Ukraine, Austria, from those two teams, what have you seen so far? Who do you think will come through? I think Ukraine. I know, I know, Austria. Have, you know, Austria have done done pretty well so far, but I think they're, they're a little bit calamitous at times. <laughs> I think, I think Ukraine actually have some some decent quality, and they've just been it's been in kind of flashes for them. They've not been able to, to sustain it long enough over a, a kind of ninety minutes. But I think Ukraine will come come out on top of that. But as I say, it could be interesting if the clock takes past uh, past an hour or whatever, and they're both, they're both thinking, do we really need to do this? What about the game between Denmark and Russia, Tom? Well, obviously, I'm back in Denmark, given what I said about the precarious nature of my advice to my friend. But I think Denmark will win. I don't know whether it'll be enough. 
Russia didn't look that great, even though they picked up a win. I think Denmark will probably win the game. Whether it'll be enough, who knows? But I, I hope. I hope. It sounds a little bit cheesy, doesn't it? But I hope Denmark can at least end with a win, regardless of whether it is enough to get them through, because that group of players must have been through something completely unique and extraordinary. No other team will have gone through what they've gone through. And their fans and things, just it would be great if they could get a win. And Netherlands taking on North Macedonia. But Matt, I think I'll ask you to predict the game uh, between Belgium and Finland. I've enjoyed watching Finland, but but Belgium, I think, will be far too strong. Doesn't matter what team they play. You would think so. I mean, it would be interesting. I mean, I think you know, Belgium got a bit of work to do. I mean, I still think that you know their De Bruyne masterclass took away from the fact that their defence still looks creaky as hell. It looks you know slow. It looks you know you know people are going to be able to get at it. And I think um, so. That's why it is interesting what Martinez does because you know say. I think there's there's improvement that they've got to find, and you know you don't do that just by sort of throwing out a, a B team. So I, I think that will be interesting. I'm going to go for a draw. I think they will rest quite a few players. North Macedonia looking playing for pride in the final game. No points as yet. You know might get something out of the game, but um, but if I was the Dutch, I think I'd go full strength and try and keep the the sort of positivity and momentum going because I don't I don't, I still think there are a step beneath some of the big names in the in the competition, but you never know. Once you get that momentum, it can take you far. Are you happy with that? I'm delighted. I love it when you make a prediction, Hugh. That's all <laughs> I wanted. Thank you very much. Cue a North Macedonian 5-0 win to discuss on the Game Podcast <laughs> tomorrow. Uh, by the way, uh, if you're enjoying it, make sure you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from. Gregor Robertson, Matt Dickinson and Tom Clark, thank you for being with me this evening. We will be back tomorrow, but remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times right now for less than a pound per day just go online search the times.co.uk forward slash the game to begin your free trial we'll see you soon helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.